Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor and a missionary, and we went to Russia in uh, 1997, uh, February. It was a little warm outside, minus 30 Celsius. You know what that means? There was a little snow on the ground, and it was the grace of God because we flew in a Tupolev. And a Tupolev is, well, they call it a plane. I thought it was something compared to a skateboard with wings. <clears throat> and uh, it was a real exciting time. Uh, we landed, and uh, three days before, our team got busted. A few of them spent about four hours in jail. Uh, the governor uh, and the mayor of the city threatened to boot the entire team out of Russia. We got national air coverage. The Orthodox Church and the Soviet Union knew all about Calvary Chapel, Omsk. We didn't. It wasn't even around. <clears throat> but then uh, a year later, my wife and I, we went back to the States for about six months, sold everything, or got clear, cleared up everything, and then we moved to a small city in, in Eastern, or European, rather in Western European Russia called Smolensk, and we planted a church there in 1998. And uh, 2007, we turned the church over to a Russian. And the church now is totally Russian and totally Calvary Chapel and serving the Lord. Then we spent, just this last year, we spent in um, Riga, where uh, we were waiting on the Lord and uh, going back and forth between Riga and Smolensk, which is only about 400 miles away. But we, we had the wonderful privilege of driving back and forth, which was a lot of fun, and helping our church out. So today, Robert gave me the wonderful privilege of coming and sharing with you about the good things of God. And I want to thank Robert for giving me this privilege. Uh, being a missionary, I see a lot of mission-minded Plans of God in the Bible. I mean, the Bible is full of missionary stories. I know you don't believe that, but hopefully you will after I'm done with you today. How many of you have read the book of Daniel? Uh, one, two, three. Okay, now, gosh. How many of you brought your Bible today? All right, very good, excellent. Okay, well, let's turn to chapter 3 of Daniel. All right? Now, this is not going to be a line upon line. I'm going to give you a topical study today. All right? Kind of break the norm a little bit because 
there would be too much to cover. And, you know, by the time I got through chapter three, your kids would kill me, your wife would kill me, somebody would kill me because we'd be here for three or four hours. And uh, we don't want anybody falling asleep, falling out the window, breaking themselves, and anything like that. So let's get to, uh, get to this chapter 3 of Daniel. I want to give you a little bit of a background, just a tiny minute, because it's important that you understand what's going on. Israel has been taken over by the Babylonian kingdom. We have the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who knows them by their Jewish name? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. These three, or four actually, were captured taken into Babylon and made eunuchs, they got to serve Nebuchadnezzar. What a wonderful guy. Really likes people, you know. He likes foreigners. Hey, you, you're coming with me? Leave your home, family, everything. You're mine. You're no longer your own. So let's take a minute and pray. And ask God to help us today. Heavenly Father, first of all, I want to thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that like that song said, Lord, you you took a wretch like me. And Lord, everyone in this room, you reached down, you hung on that cross You would not come down because you loved us so very much. And Lord, you are going to save us to the uttermost. And throughout eternity, Lord, we're going to see those nail prints and we're going to realize that we are the ones that put those nail prints there. But if they weren't there, we would not be in heaven. And forever we'll sing your praises because you're the only one worthy of praise. Father, help us today, Lord, as we study your word. Teach us, Lord God. Be with me now. Help me, Lord God, to share the things that you have put on my heart. I pray that they will edify this body that will cause these great men of God, these great men of God, women of God, and and the families here, Lord, to serve you with a passion and to serve you with a, a heart on fire for you, Lord God, and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, <clears throat> I was praying really hard about what to share. And, <clears throat> you know, I just... I really felt like God really put this on my heart to share with you, especially if you're mission-minded. Back in 93, my wife brought home a book called uh, No Compromise, The Life Story of Keith Green. I got halfway through that, and God had convicted me about my walk in the Lord, 
I rededicated my heart back to the Lord, and then he put missions on my mind. Actually, I was in Vietnam, 1970. I was out in the middle of the woods one day, and I, I made a stupid vow to God. I said, God, if you get me out of Vietnam, I'll serve you in the mission field. 23 years later, God goes, hey, Mike, remember that promise you made? Are you talking to me, God? What promise? Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember that promise. Okay. All right, Lord. I'll do it. So <clears throat> we have three reluctant missionaries. And the reason I say that they're reluctant is because they really don't want to be where they're at. Do you understand that Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah did not want to go to Babylon. They didn't want to be in Babylon. That was not their homeland. Their homeland was Israel. But they had been captured and made eunuchs, and now they are serving Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a very interesting man. In fact, he's one of only two or three pagan <coughs> leaders that is actually used of God. And God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar. But how he gets Nebuchadnezzar to follow God is amazing. In fact, he's going to use the life of Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael. And he's going to use their example to turn his heart around to follow the Lord. <clears throat> we have Nebuchadnezzar chapter 3. I'll paraphrase it. Nebuchadnezzar one day, he is out in the plain, out next, out, you know, we got the city of Babylon. It's huge. It's the biggest city on the planet. Probably over a million people in, in Babylon alone. <clears throat> He's out there in a plain out there and he makes this golden image. It's 90 feet tall. The guy has a stereotype problem. 90 foot image. You know, nine feet wide. I mean, it's like really big. You can't miss it. It's like, like the eye. Or Big Ben. You know, Big Ben, you can't miss Big Ben. How many of you have seen Big Ben here? You know, you can't miss it. I've taken about 400 shots with my camera the other day. Click, 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 click. And not only me, but 10,000 other people that go by, oh, let's take a picture of Big Ben. You can't miss Big Ben. Here was this image out in the middle of the field, and he set it up, and he invited everybody in the land all the all the political leaders all the government all the top movie stars all the rock and roll stars you got to come we're having a celebration around my image now it wasn't really an image of himself but it was an image of his god and the image of all the other gods that they worshipped in Babylon. 
And we're going to learn a little bit, maybe just exactly why he set up this image. <clears throat> anyway, it says that verse 3, it says, So the satraps, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, king, had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald went forth, verse 4, <clears throat> To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Now we're not just talking about the Assyrians. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of groups of peoples all gathered because Babylon was the conquering power of the world at that time. Not just the Jews did he conquer, he conquered the Assyrians, he conquered the Egyptians, he conquered many others, and he gathered them all under him, and he wanted, them to, ha he wanted to have total allegiance. He wanted to know that they would do exactly what he would say. So, he just made it very simple. He set up an image, and he said, at the sound of the music, all right, let's get the rock and roll group going, and at the sound of the music, everybody falls down and worships my image. All right? So the herald goes forth, and he says, to all the peoples, nations, and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the saw, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And if you don't fall down and worship the image, guess what? We're going to throw you into a burning furnace. Whoa. Oh, that's not very nice. So, well, cool. I guess I'll just fall down and... You know, it's just an image. Who cares? You know, I'll just fall down just like everybody else will do, and it'll be over. Whew. Okay, I'm done with that. Now what's next? Let's go on with life. So everybody falls down to this golden image. Everybody, all the peoples, the languages, every culture, Every group that's gathered there falls down and worships the image, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse, verse 9. Okay, verse, verse 8. Therefore, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews... They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, king, live forever. Oh, we're, you're such a nice king. We really like you. You, O oh, king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, blah, 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 shall fall down and worship the golden image you have made. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews here... And they have not fallen down and worshipped your majesty. 
Oh, and by the way, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you remember, King, you, you appointed them. They're, they're, they are right out there. See, right? Oh, they're very important people. And, and they're in your kingdom. And, and they didn't fall down like everybody else did, like we all did, you know. They did not fall down. And we just thought we'd bring it to your attention, king, you know, that these bad people did not fall down and worship you. So Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and he's a little uptight, you know, and he says, okay, bring him here. And so then he says, hey, I just happened to hear that you guys did not fall down and worship my golden image. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you a second chance. If you'll fall down and worship my golden image, then it'll be cool. You'll be good, everything will be fine, and we'll go on. I'll just forget what you guys just did, you know. You just insulted me, but it's okay. If you fall down now, okay, get the band ready. Let's get the music going again now. What? Okay. And then he really has a, re, a real remark. He says, he says here, he says, um, you shall, uh, or he says, if you don't do this, if you don't fall down right away and worship my image, Look out, because I'm going to throw you into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Who is he? Look, you don't fall down and do what I say. I'm going to throw you in the fire, and there's nobody that's going to deliver you. <clears throat> now, what a situation. Now, think about it. What a situation for you and I, let alone them, to be placed in. <clears throat> they were servants of God, and we will learn about that. They, they loved the Lord, and they wanted to serve God, and they wanted to serve God with all their heart. I call them the reluctant missionaries because they really didn't want to be there. They wanted to be in Israel, but God in his infinite grace and mercy has them in Babylon. And we're going to see that he has them there for a very unique purpose. In fact, all of Daniel is just a declaration of God wonderfully preserving Israel even though it was in rebellion. Israel was in rebellion because they had forsaken God. God allowed Babylon to come and take them into captivity. They're there for 70 years, and God miraculously preserves them and then sends them back. It just shows the divine hand of God in everything that will transpire in our lives, it will transpire in your life. Now... <clears throat> The first point is obedience. In 1 Peter, uh, it talks about the fiery trial that will try your faith. Uh, have any of you ever been through a fiery trial? 
You know, most little trials we have, we don't really think of them too much as fiery. But I often think any trial is a trial, and usually is a fiery trial for me. The other day I had a fiery trial with my wife, because I wanted some ice cream and she, she didn't let me have it. So I got really mad and upset and, you know, it was a fiery trial, you know, but I had to repent. Gosh, you know. And, you know, I made such an ass of myself, you know, I just can't believe I would do that. But, you know, I'm thinking I'm so spiritual, so big, and so God sends a little trial my way and goes, oh, uh, what about that, Mike? Oh, gosh, Lord, why? Gosh, I mean, God, you already know the outcome. You know I'm going to be a victor. Why do I have to go through this trial? Well, <clears throat> here were these three men. God had miraculously preserved them, put them in a position of a power and authority. But then God lets them go through this fiery trial. They're standing there before the image, and they don't bow down. They don't fall down and worship the image. They stand and say, we're not going to do it. We're not going to go that way. And I think that when Peter wrote First Peter, he must have had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in his mind because he talks about a fiery trial. Well, what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face? If they don't fall down and worship, they get roasted. I mean, they get burned. Now, they had these kilns where they made their brick. It gets pretty hot in a kiln. I don't know, have you ever been close to a kiln? I get close to a fire and I start to sweat. So, this is what, this is their outcome. If they don't fall down and worship, they're going to be thrown into a kiln and burned up. So they're faced with a real difficult test, a real difficult trial. And so we see that, <clears throat> that God has really orchestrated this whole thing. We're going to see God's plan come through. But God places them there for two things. First for for them, and then for Nebuchadnezzar. God, has, God will allow trials to come in our life to test us, to prove us. I want to turn to First Peter there just for a second and read this for you. Because it's essential that you and I understand that all trials have a purpose. And if we don't understand trials... We will never grow in our Christian faith. God has a reason for trials. God has a reason for tests. And they're not just because God is bored. He really wants to do great things in us. 1 Peter 4, verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which shall try you as though some strange thing happened to you. 
But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of God, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. So, trials are going to come. Tests are going to come. And they are really a benefit and a blessing to you. Because even though they look or come to us in a strange way, they are going to work in us for the glory of God. And they're going to work for your glory as well. So now we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are standing before this golden image, and they're not going to bow down or worship it. In fact, what we read is that they resist the king. In fact, they refuse to do what the king says. If you read... uh, Verse 16, 17, and 18. Here, let me read it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your, serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Whoa. Think about that. You and I are living in a very interesting age. The emergent church is nothing. I believe that we are on the verge of what would be called the very last days. And the world is trying to force you to conform. You see it on television, on radio, wherever you go, down the street. You've got to conform if you want to be in. You want to be cool? You've got to look like, look like everybody else, right? Here was Nebuchadnezzar. He'd set up a golden image. Nebuchadnezzar was a real worshiper of God, of a God. He worshiped Marduk. And Marduk was this big God. And he loved Marduk. In fact, he built many temples and shrines to Marduk. And Marduk was really a symbol of many other gods as well because they were polytheistic. They had many gods. They worshipped many gods. Well, they were a symbol of everything that Babylon stood for. You and I are being trying to be conformed to, to the modern world. And the modern world is really trying to conform us to its image. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many of you know Romans 12, 1 and 2? What? All right. All right, you know that one, okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present yourselves a holy and living sacrifice unto God, 
which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? So what's Nebuchadnezzar trying to do to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Conform. Get in with the program. Get looking like the rest of everybody else here. Look, all these peoples, all these tongues, all these languages, everybody is conforming. Why aren't you conforming? Why aren't you conforming? Why aren't you fitting my image? Right? And so we see that they stand against conformity. They basically resist. They don't resist the king. They said, we will not fall down to your gods or worship your image. They weren't rebelling against the king. They were rebelling against the image, against the pagan gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar really goes off the handle because they will not conform. It's, you know, it's easy for you and I to resist when we're by ourselves or with one or two people. But you know it's a real challenge to resist when you and I are standing on stage. When you and I are out there in the midst of everybody else, it's, it's a real challenge, isn't it? You feel the real pressure. You feel this pressure all around to conform. And you and I, we have to resist conformity. Well, if you resist conformity, look out. Because you are a target. And yet, that's where God puts you and me at. He puts us deliberately in the middle of confrontation. Because God has an ultimate plan, not just for you, but for the rest of the world. So what happened? So we read, you know, Nebuchadnezzar loses it. I mean, he really loses it. Now, I really believe that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I was reading a little bit about him. A very interesting man. First, he, he, he will become a believer in God. How many of you remember um, uh, Naaman, that Syrian general who had leprosy? He didn't believe there was a God in Israel. No way. But when God healed him, he said, I want to take some earth back because when I go back to my pagan king, I'm going to have to bow down to this dumb idol that doesn't do anything. Because now I know that there's a God in Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to know that there's a God in Israel. And he's going to know that this God can do great things. Now, so he's sitting here, he really blows it. He's afraid, basically, that somebody's going to kill him. Or else the people are going to turn against him because he's kind of shifting his program from 
from being a war general to being a great builder of Babylon. You know, in fact, chapter 4 or 5, Nebuchadnezzar one day walks out and he says, Oh, look at this big, beautiful city I have built. And God said, Oh, yeah, ping. You built this? Ha! Bing! I'm the one who puts up kings and deposes them. Who are you? You're nothing. Oh, great. I get to wander for seven years like a cow. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar really gets angry. And so he says, Heat the furnace seven times hotter than it is now. And get my best men over here. Hey, you. You warriors over here. Come over here. Grab those guys. Tie them up. Throw them in the fire. I mean, he's got the best. He's got the strongest. Those who obey him without question. And he's really angry. So he heats this furnace up seven times hotter. I don't know what it must have looked like. But it said that as the men approached to throw... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. They are killed by the heat. I mean, they just fall dead. Poof. You know. And they throw all three of them in. I don't even know how they got that, how they did that. It must have, it must have gotten barbecued in the process, throwing them into the fire. And so we see that a second later, a second later goes by and Nebuchadnezzar's probably going, ha, 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 ha. Oh, wait. There's something wrong with this scene. Wait. Who is, who's that other guy in the furnace? Wait, 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 wait. This, oh, come on now. That, no, that can't be. Sure, it must be hot out here. Am I seeing things? There's. Uh, wait, 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 wait. We just threw three guys in there. There's four. Who is that fourth guy? Oh, I, hey, he looks, oh, he looks familiar. You know, Daniel, I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. And all of a sudden, there's four in the furnace. Four men, not three, four. And they're all walking around. They must have been talking, hey, how's the weather? You know, pretty hot in here, but I don't know. I don't feel anything yet. <clears throat> and so as they're walking around talking, Nebuchadnezzar is like alarmed because he says, I've thrown three men in there. I see four. And one is like unto the Son of Man. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes over himself. He doesn't say, hey, go call those guys out. He goes over and says, hey, hey, wait, wait. Uh, excuse me, you guys. Can you come out for a minute? i got to talk to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can you guys come out? He has to call them out of the fire. They're right in the place where God wants them at. Right in the middle of the fire, they're walking around. Right in the middle of this great test. God has not only delivered them, they're walking in freedom. You know, they already said that. I don't care. Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw me in the fire. If God delivers me, praise God. 
If he doesn't deliver me, praise God. Now, that takes a determination in your life and in my life. And it's a determination to surrender to the will of God. We may not always understand why God allows a trial or a difficulty or even sickness to come into our life. But God will, through the sickness, the trial or the test, not only will he come and walk with you in the fire, He will be with you in the fire. He'll be right there with you all the way through it. He was right there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but not before. It's only when they went into into the furnace. There is where they met the Lord. That's where they met God, who walked right with them, right into the fire. And they would not conform. They would not surrender. They would stand up for Christ. Stand up for the God of Israel. And so we read that Nebuchadnezzar goes over and he calls them out. And he says, wow. I mean, it's really amazing what he says. I was reading it. He said, um, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have, one, frustrated the king's word. Two, they have yielded their bodies. Three, and they, uh, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. See the three things that Nebuchadnezzar saw. He saw God's deliverance. You know, how God would frustrated this evil king's desire to force them to go against God. He frustrated it. Second, they yielded themselves completely. And the king saw that. The king saw that they yielded themselves to the grace of God, to the power of God, to the will of God. That touched him. All right? And second... He saw that they served the one and only, the true God. You know, the world needs to know that there is a God. And God is working in each of us. You know, and it starts in obedience. It's tough, it's difficult. You may be reluctant. You may not want to serve the Lord at times. You may feel like, what is this going to really, what's it really going to do? But I tell you, God, well, not only will, as he works in your life, he's going to be working in the lives of other people around you. 
Because all around you, people are watching you. They're watching your life. And when they see you go through some fiery trial or some difficulty, and you come out with a smile, because the Lord's been walking with you through it, I'm going like, why are you so different than I am? How can you do that? How do you do that? And you go, well, oh, it's just Jesus, man. I don't know how. You know, I don't know how I did it. It was just the Lord. So we see that the first step is obedience. And as you obey the Lord and trust and allow God to work, even through the trials and the difficulties, God is going to do great things. Secondly, it's surrender. You know, we are kind of stubborn. A lot of times I don't want to surrender. I want to be in charge. Okay, God, I don't like that. You know, I want to do it this way. God says, that's not my way. Okay, what is your way? Surrender. Well, that's not fair, Lord. I, I want to be in charge. I want to control. Surrender. Okay, I give up. Okay, nope, nope, that's not good enough, Mike. I want you to surrender. Surrender? I mean, that, that's like, like servanthood. You know, you mean just like really surrender? I mean, like let you take control of my life? Yeah, isn't that cool? Do you know that if you don't surrender now, you won't have to surrender at all. You can rule in hell forever. You can have your own little kingdom. And you'll be the Lord of your kingdom in your little tiny spot in hell. Because you know what heaven is composes of? One Lord, one God, one Savior. What are, what's the rest of heaven composed of? Servants. You know, servants. The four and twenty elders, servants. The four living creatures, servants. We're going to be his servants forever. And it's the coolest place to be in. Man, it's so awesome to be his servant. Wow, Lord, you can, you're going to use me? Yeah, I'm going to use you, Mike, because you're the only one that will obey me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Okay, Lord, I'm trying to. Please help me. So, <clears throat> to finish my lesson off here, God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how did he use them? How did he use them to win the heart of the king? By letting them go through the fire. By letting them go through this test, Shadrach, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar goes, wow, these guys really are sincere. These guys really do believe in what they talk about. They really are Christians. They're going to look at your life. And as they see your life, they're going to go, wow. 
There really is something to this. And that's what won Nebuchadnezzar. That's what blew Nebuchadnezzar away. He said it. He said, you frustrated my will. I wanted, I wanted to be in control. And you blew it away. And you showed me there's a better way. And I see that you, you do not count your lives. But that you are willing to lay down your life for Jesus. I see that, you know. And then I see that you serve the true and living God. Now, you and I, we need to be knowledgeable about the Word of God. This is the, this is the greatest book you can ever know. And you can get your Ph.D. from this, Post Hole Digger. Now, just go out and dig a ditch, and you have the greatest Ph.D. you ever want. And you want a B.A.? Born again. See, I got a B.A. I'm born again. So I've got all the degrees I need. And I just, I keep myself in the Word of God, and, and I'm the safest there. And God has some valuable lessons for each of us to do. If you really want to experience the power of God, if you want to know this great God, just take the step of obedience. Then the step of obedience which leads to surrender. And then the final step is that we're going to spend eternity with him. You know, that's, that's true service. True worship is to obey the Lord. It's not sing a song to him. True worship is to obey the Lord. And the greatest sacrifice that we could ever give would be as our lives. <clears throat> Jesus gave us the greatest example. Be like me, for I'm like the Father. The Father said, son, lay down your life for them. Yes, Father. What do you want? What else do you want me to do? Hang on a cross. Yes, Father. What else do you want me to do? Suffer and die for them. Yes, Father. What else do you want me to do? See his pattern, how he set it down for us to follow? Lay down our lives. Surrender. Follow Jesus. And in doing that, we show the greatest worship to God ever. Let's close. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord God, I, I pray for all the brothers here. I see some really awesome men of God here. And I know Robert has a great a great body of believers here. And Father, I pray that for whatever weaknesses Robert has, and, and I'm sure that there are many, I'm sure we could all look at little, little areas in Robert's life and say, oh, he failed here, he failed there. But Father, I remember when Moses raised up his hands in the Valley of Agilon. And while he raised his hands up, Joshua was, was victorious. And when the hands fell down, then Joshua was defeating, was getting defeated. And so Ur and this other brother, they come over and they raise up Moses' hands so that Joshua can be victorious. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the brethren here, and I pray that you'll just encourage them to go over and raise up Robert's hands to help him, Lord. And Lord, that they will see that that's a part of their work, too, that raising up the hands of each other. 
that these great men of God here will, will reach out to each other and raise each other's hands up, help each other in this, in this time, in these difficult times. The world around us is trying to get us to conform. And Father, we want not to conform. But we don't want to look like, like fanatics. We want to look like your people. So Father, I pray that you'll help us pray for each other, encourage each other, and stand with each other, Lord. And Lord, especially in this last day, that trumpet is almost ready to sound. So Father, we pray that you will just strengthen us now. Be with us in Jesus' name we pray. I'm not done,